Hi, this is DeAndre Esteen, and this is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and I want to thank you for joining us again in season three. Yes, I said I'd say this every episode, and I mean it. I am so thrilled that we are here with you for our third season. Joining us today is a very special guest, someone I'm really looking forward to this conversation with, and someone who is tall in real life. So, you know, to give you that much. Welcome to the <laughs> podcast. And other than DeAndre Esteen. Good good day. Good day. Good Friday. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, and, you know, I'm not sure if people can, can see us or not, if this is just audio or video, but we are somewhat dressed alike. Like we're wearing the same color. <laughs> this was Didn't not plan it. Planned. Yeah. <laughs> this is not planned whatsoever. So, um, you know, listen, it just means that uh, it's serendipitous. You know, this is going to be a great conversation. It's going to be a great day. And again, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, the first thing I want to ask you is something I actually usually save for the end of the podcast, but I want to start here as kind of our level setting, which is how do you define compassion? Wow. Um, that's a very good question. So to me, compassion is actually when you bring your passion together with someone else's passion, when you guys work together for the common good and it's believing in doing the right thing to help others. So I think that's pretty, uh, a pretty simple way to think about compassion. Uh, when you think about a, a lot of folks who want to do great things, it's because they feel like it's the right thing to do. They see a problem, they feel like they have a solution, or they can work together with someone else to, to uh, create a solution to that problem. It's about helping others, and you know, I think that's really what compassion is all about. I love it. I think that's a great way to frame it. So with that in mind, just let our audience know a little bit more about you, but I want you to take us on your journey. Yeah. So, you know, wow, how much time do we have? I'll try <laughs> to get the, the simple version. So, um, you know, born and raised in Las Vegas, pretty much moved around a, a lot um, around the city when I was younger. Um, but roots definitely in West Las Vegas. I mean, my grandmother still stays there. My great-grandmother still stays there. I go over there from time to time. Uh, you know, got to go to Mario's, you know, get, get my catfish. I graduated in 2005, um, right before Katrina hit. And my focus at the time was really around television journalism. I wanted to be a news producer. I wanted to write and you know, and really build shows. And uh, a lot of my focus was there. My internships were, were there as well. Um, and came back and actually got my career started with um, uh, Channel 8 um, and then also Channel 13. And was there for about four years. And unfortunately, the, um, you know, the recession hit at the time. And, you know, a lot of folks were, were impacted. And uh, I, I was very young and it was a struggle for me because, again, that's what I went to school for. And that's all I knew at the time. Um, but um, 
when I got let go, I figured, let me do something. Let me, you know, volunteer. And so I actually started to volunteer at the shade tree and I was teaching life skills classes there. That's how I actually got started in, in the nonprofit world. So I was uh, working in their workforce readiness program, uh, coaching and teaching classes and helping the residents there to find work and, you know, jobs, you know, just really improve their workforce readiness skills. Um, and then I actually uh, became the director of development right uh, soon after that. So now we're in a whole different world. We're in the fundraising world. And I think that's where I really started to establish the relationship uh, part, because that's what director, you know, being a, uh, in development is really all about. And in 2014, I joined Barclays. Um, I, you know, the name Barclays sounded familiar to me, you know, Barclays Center. And, and I was familiar with Premier League. And I joined in um, in um, August of 2014. And Barclays had just really established itself in Henderson uh, about six months prior. So I've been with Barclays now for um, seven and a half years out of the eight years that they've been here. And, um, you know, it's it's been a great journey. Um, I, I think the one thing, you know, when I look back at my, my career and the different aspects of my career, and for anyone listening out there, you know, you you have to have a cheerleader because I have had some great mentors and people who believed in me along the way, even when I didn't quite believe in myself, even when I felt like I wasn't being the best leader that I could possibly be or, you know, being, a you know, but there's always those folks who who expect the best out of you. They know that you're capable of, of being better and they will root for you. Yeah. And when you say you're with Barclay, like, tell us what you do, like, what what's your title? Oh, boy. So uh, my exact title in when I give you this title, I'm going to have to explain it anyway. But my exact title is uh, Vice President of uh, Contact Center Site Coordinator. So really what that means is all of our external relationships in Henderson, which we have uh, about 1,300 colleagues in, in, in uh, Southern Nevada, I am in charge of the community relations aspect of it. So anything dealing with our philanthropy or fundraising, which we call our citizenship platform, um, falls under me. And I also oversee that same agenda in our, our smaller location in Hamilton, Ohio. So really getting our colleagues involved um, in volunteerism and fundraising, looking out for those organizations who can be part of our investment strategy, uh, dealing with workforce readiness skills. And we have some wonderful community partners out there. Uh, Tech Impact is one of them, Help of Southern Nevada um, and Junior Achievement, you know, have some great programs that we're involved in, but it's really about building those life skills and those workforce readiness skills. So that's from the investment side. And that's where I spent a, a lot of a lot of my time, uh, but also diversity and inclusion, uh, colleague engagement. Um, and I'm also in, in charge of internal uh, communications, but but also our external relationships dealing with the chambers of commerces, the LBGEA, uh, City of Economic Development. Um, I really help nurture those relationships and also build bridges, too. I, I like to really think of myself as a connector you know, in, in so many ways, um, because I'm also bringing in, you know, people and telling our story and making sure that the right people are at the table to, to so that our community is successful and Barclays is successful. And how far of a reach does Barclays have? So globally, um, let's see, about what, 330 years of, of history, uh, you know, 
So that's that's a long, long, um, you know, stage of, of history right there. But around the world, uh, 40 different countries, 85,000 colleagues. Um, our U.S. business is based off out of uh, Wilmington, Delaware. Um, but our site in Henderson, uh, which is off of uh, Green Valley Parkway in 215, uh, we are the largest operational center in the U.S. So we're in Nevada, we're in Ohio, Wilmington, Delaware. We have our large tech center um, in uh, Whitney, New Jersey as well. So we're pretty much spread out, um, but Henderson, Nevada is the flagship um, operation center. So I have a Barclay card in my wallet as we speak. All and right. I just, want, I just want our audience to hear the, the first two words you said, vice president. So a kid from Vegas is now leading this extraordinary company that's global and you're doing it through relationships. Like to me, that's we could end the podcast there with, with <laughs> amplifying hope in that way. Like that's amazing. Well, I, I do want to say that I'm, I'm one of many uh vice presidents. And we have a wonderful team around the world um, who, who, you know, handles the citizenship and the philanthropy piece. So we will all work together. And, and I think that's one of the, the crazy things about this pandemic is we're isolated, but it's also allowed us to come together as well, you know, virtually. So I've had a wonderful chance to, to meet some of my colleagues in, in London, in uh, Germany, you know, uh, virtually, of course, you know, and we're sharing ideas, you know, hey, what's working, you know, in your community? Oh, wow, this is working with us. Hey, maybe we can do something together and collaborate. So, uh, you know, while, you know, vice, you know, VP, I'm very proud, you know, of that. And again, a, a lot of hard work, but a lot of folks believed in me as well. And, and you know, and, and it gives you confidence, you know, so I also want to shout out, you know, my, my colleagues, the team, um, for supporting what we do in our communities, because that's how we're going to be successful, but that's also how we're going to be impactful. Community is a theme of this podcast. And of course, it's the core of our organization at Compassionate Las Vegas, making our community more compassionate. So I, I love everything that you said, and I'm just really excited to see what you do next and the <laughs> partnerships that you continue to foster. Because I did do a little sleuthing, like you've got this journalism background, so you know you got to got to know a little something going in. Of course, yeah, check your, check your sources and everything, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but one of the things that caught my attention was the build project with the park. And that to me was so important because you brought in the children to actually be a part of that process and to give their voice and input in what you were creating. And yeah. to me, that says you understand the importance of having everyone at the table when you're moving forward with anything. So could you speak to that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's a wonderful partnership that we've been able to be a part of over the last year. And we're actually just finalized. We're going to uh, take part in the second year. So awesome. we're going to, yeah, so we're, we're going to do it again. But uh, the, the Fox 5 Super Build, um, you know, they approached us, Fox 5 did. They, they have this wonderful project that they have been doing um, where they bring in local companies um, and they work together to help build and design a, a playground in an area in need um, through an organization called uh, Make an Impact. And then uh, later on, working with Habitat for Humanity, you build a house. And this year, um, the, the house was uh, built for the, the Payton family. They have a wonderful, wonderful story 
Um, you can go to Fox 5's website and, and learn all about them and learn about the companies that have been involved and, and hear our story as well as, you know, why it's important for us. Um, but yeah, going back to the playground, which was the, the first part of it, um, you know, bringing the kids together um, in the area of, um, you know, it was Freedom, uh, Gary Reese Freedom Park. Um, I'm used to just saying Freedom Park because uh, I lived in that area and that's where, you know, we would go and hang out, me and my, my, my friends and I when we were younger. But uh, the kids in, in that area, it's about 2,000 children, I believe, um, would be, you know, utilizing that, that new playground. But we brought them in uh, different age groups and we, uh, <laughs> you know, they got a chance to sort of build out what they thought they would want to see in a playground. I remember that day like it was yesterday. Um, even though it's almost a year ago, because I had the kindergartners. And so that was a whole lot of energy. I, then when they gave the kids the cake, I'm like, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're done here because you're going to give <laughs> five and six year olds some sugar and no, but, but it was, it was great because, you know, they took a lot of the ideas from the kids and, um, you know, really put it in, in the rendering and the Raiders were involved as well. So, of course, it's it's all, you know, Raiders logoed out. And, um, you know, just seeing the, the process and us being a part of that process was really great. It was a first time for, for us. Um, we had to be involved in it um, a majority of the time virtually, unfortunately, due to safety and health, you know, guidelines. But as I continue to tell the story and as, as I continue to let our colleagues know what's going on and, um, you know, even virtually we were part of the design day. But I'm proud to say when we do the house build, we have our day coming up. We will have Barclays colleagues out there. We will be getting our hands dirty and putting the final touches on the Peyton family's brand new home. And so, um, you know, listen, if you guys, again, if you have a chance, uh, go to Fox 5's website. Um, they have a wonderful story, a wonderful family. I got a chance to meet with them and talk with them. And um, I'm just so very happy for them and that we're able to be a part of the process. That's beautiful. And I'm just warm and fuzzies, like 2000 kids have access to this park. And so, you know, full disclosure, I am not a sports person and right. <laughs> I, just, I don't even understand like, okay, people are watching other people do this and they're really excited about it. Like that doesn't resonate with me, but I am amazed at how much Las Vegas loves the Raiders. Like you can't go anywhere without seeing a Raiders license plate or someone in a T or, you know, a, a flag somewhere. It's just like the Raiders came and they made this home for real. Yeah. I, and when you even look at just overall, um, we're a sports town now. Who would have yeah. thought? Um, I mean, you know, there was there were some folks who who said we we are we can be a sports town, and you know, but I think the majority of us, 10, 15 years ago, there was no way we thought that we would be a major sports hub, hockey, in Las Vegas, you know. But the Golden Knights came in, um, and, you know, and unfortunately their debut season, you know, coincided with one October, but even right before then they came in and they embraced the community, right? They came in and they made their impact. They were our Vegas born, you know, organization. And they really show, you know, that they want to establish roots here. When you think about what the Raiders, when you think about the aces, when you think about, you know, now we have the silver Knights, you know, coming in. Um, and when you think about the, um, uh, you know, the arena football league, all the sports teams that have come in have really adopted Vegas 
and have really made their stamp as to wanting to make a difference. And whatever their platform is, if it's kids, if it's, you know, uh, you know, veteran families, if, if it's, you know, the elderly, if it's pets, um, organizations want to be a part of this community and they know that giving back is the way to do it. Giving back. That's a, a big topic right now, because I, I see us really being a part of a phase shift and even going from being a, a town that no one thought would handle sports to being a sports town. I mean, you've got, like, as you mentioned, all of the major teams and more are still coming. We're really transitioning into a new Las Vegas. And that's the, to me, the spirit of Las Vegas is reinvention. But I wonder with all of these great feel good stories, I, I, I go, I enjoy the moment of feeling good about it, but then I also feel the heartbreak of why does this story exist in the first place? Could you speak to your thoughts on true systemic change? Well, I think the goal for any organization, for for any, I'm going to put on my nonprofit hat here for a second. I think the goal for any nonprofit hat, ultimate goal, ultimate vision, is to be in a world where that nonprofit should not exist, right? If you look at domestic violence, you know, organizations, the the vision should be, we shouldn't have to be here, but we are glad that we're here to offer these programs and services. When you look at financial literacy, when you look at, um, you know, racial and social injustice, you know, organizations that serve that purpose, absolutely those things should not have to happen. But we should be grateful that there are organizations, there are individuals, there are teams that are dedicated to those particular missions. Because without those shelter you know, or services or programs or support, whatever you want to call it, you know, there will be a lot more, a lot more folks in need. There will be a lot more negativity in our world. So I, I think that's why, you know, I implore folks to really find out what are you passionate about? You know, we look, we, you know, we look at things, especially over the last couple of years, you know, we, we've seen a lot of, well, we've known that there there are things that have been happening. You know, mm-hmm. our community, This is we've been speaking about this for years, mm-hmm. but I think the world has gotten a chance to see, you know, some of these things that have happened, you know, and unfortunately it's also led to, uh, you know, to, to other things. When you look at the pandemic, when you look at, you know, mental health, when you look at, um, you know, the rise in, in violent crime or domestic violence, you know, it's just been a world where a a lot of the the onions have been pulled back, but there are organizations out there. So let's be part of the solution. Let's invest our time in being part of these organizations, you know, that are are trying to create solutions. And, you know, you, you raise a good point, but I also think that this is our chance to continue to show you know, that we're supportive of one another, that we're supportive of finding solutions. Um, It's very easy to sit back and say, this is a problem. This is a problem. But it's also an opportunity for us to say, this is a problem. What do I have within me? What resources do I have? What what passion do I have to to work towards, you know, being a solution, you know, or, or finding a solution? 
I believe in solutions. And that's really why this podcast exists, is to show the world and remind Las Vegas that amazing things are happening and that despite all of the negativity that traditional media channels have to show, there's a lot of good that is happening. And as I mentioned earlier, I think transformation is is underway. And of course, when you're in the middle of it, you don't necessarily see it in the same way you do once you're to the end and you can look back and look, oh, look what we did. But I, I really think that this is a unique time in history this decade that we're in, even though COVID-19 has been around for way too long, I, I think it's given us some tools and some perspective and some connectivity that we wouldn't have otherwise gotten in this quick uh, time frame, this short of a time frame. So I really appreciate you bringing that solutions-oriented perspective. How else are you engaging with our community here in Las Vegas? Oh, uh, wow. Um, you know, it's... I've had a a couple of roles, um, I should say. Um, And I think one of the most important is mentorship. So um, I've been very fortunate uh, up until a couple of years ago to to mentor a young man um, through a program that we uh, were with at Valley High School that unfortunately it it didn't work out. Um, But the principal was very gracious and said, hey, I want you to stick through it because... um, we have quite a journey ahead with this, this young man. And so um, from his freshman year, all the way to his senior year in high school, I was his mentor. Um, Very good kid. He ended up um, getting a a partial football academic scholarship um, and going on on to college. So I think he should be in his sophomore, maybe a junior year at this point. Um, Mentorship is very important. You know, I've had a few mentors in, in my life. And, you know, being able to guide me and being someone that, you know, I can go and talk to. Um, But I I also serve on a couple of boards now. Um, I'm on the advisory board for Tech Impact Las Vegas, uh, which is an organization that has uh, programs for uh, youth, um, work work readiness programs. So they have CX Works and IT Works. And I'm on the advisory board uh, for that organization. And I'm very proud that I am the chair of the Henderson Chamber of Commerce's Foundation Board um, as of uh, last July. So I'm in my my first year um, out of a two-year term. Um, And I'm very proud, again, to, um, you know, be at the table and and have uh, such a great group of like-minded individuals that are dedicated, you know, to not only the Chamber's mission, but also the focus on community um, which is our community cares uh, acts, um, community cares programs, uh, leadership, um, and also Launchpad, which is the small business hub that uh, is currently under renovation. That we're really focusing on not only small businesses, but we're we're working on focusing on scholarships for uh, uh, women-owned, minority-owned, and veteran-owned uh, small businesses. So the chamber, you know. Great work, great focus. I'm just happy to be a part of the team. Wow. That's incredible. And it's, I'm just sitting here going through my calendar in my head, like there are 24 hours in a day. And <laughs> he just mentioned like 39 different, you know, so that that's really, really awesome. And I think mentorship is so crucial. I have adopted, and I'm not going to say my age, but 
I've adopted the philosophy, I need an under 30 mentor. And so that's something I try to make sure is always happening just so I stay connected with the generation that's coming up, but also still being able to pour into, you know, because that that history is is so critical. Yeah. How does it feel to to literally be making history and change with with your influence in this way? Well, I just feel like I'm doing my part, you know, honestly. Um, but I also want to create a world where, you know, we, we have people that we've looked up to, right. We have those leaders in in our community. We're like, wow, I hope I can make an impact like them. Right. We don't know how, you know, but we, we look up to them. You know, we have to understand that, you know, secretly there's those, you know, who are younger than us that probably look at us the same way. And I want to lay a foundation. I want to, I, I hope that, you know, with others, you know, we can be that, that beacon, right. Where, you know, the younger people look up to us and, and, and say the same thing, you know, I want my niece, you know, who's eight years old at this point, And my nephew, who's two years old at this point, you know, to look up to me and, and to others and say, wow, you know, that's what, that's what I want to aspire to, to be like, you know, and, you know, there, you know, some people feel a, you know, a certain way about being a, a, a quote unquote role model, but regardless if we want to be a role model or not, we have to understand when we're put into certain positions and especially leadership positions that people are watching us, you know, good, you know, good and bad, but I want my niece and my nephew and I want, you know, kids to, you know, to look up to, to, and to aspire to, you know, for something, not the latest TikTok trend, you know, not whatever, you know, uh, reality TV star, you know, is, is doing, you know, I want to, you know, let's create some positive, you know, role models and some definitely let's create some positive local role models, you know, that our younger generation can, can look up to. I love it. What happens in Vegas will change the world. I like that. What has been the the greatest obstacle or challenge you face, particularly as a black man in the nonprofit world, but as part of a major corporation seeking to make change in the world? Well, I, I think one of the things, again, when you when you look back at the last couple of years, um, one of the the challenges that that I faced. Um, you know, pretty much is the isolation, you know, and, and it's tough. Right. And then when you're isolated and then you see all the things, you know, that have transpired, um, you know, starting in the, you know, early 2020, um, it can be taxing. It can, you know, mentally, I, I think, um, you know, there's been for so long, there's been a stigma on, on mental health, right. Especially in the African-American, you know, community you know, reaching out for help, you know, or knowing where to go, what, what are those resources? So, you know, I don't want, I don't think that I'm, you know, unique in that aspect. It's been a little bit tough for me as well. You know, um, sometimes you have to take a step back. Sometimes you, you have to, you know, know where resources are out there, whether it's within your company or whether it's when, um, you know, outside of your, your organization. I will say the one thing that has, that has been, good, but also, or positive, but also it makes you kind of think, you know, is 
we are actually now having conversations that we would not have had years ago, whether it's the workplace, you know, or whether it's in your own social circles. Right. Um, and, and it's healthy, it's healthy conversation. It's, it's healthy dialogue. Um, and you get to highlight some of those things where, you know, maybe you had a conversation with someone previously and you felt a little uncomfortable, you know? Um, but now, you know, you have those folks who are like, wow, I would say this, or I would have, you know, or I would do this, not trying to, you know, be negative or anything like that, but I never understood, you know, I didn't, I didn't think how that would make you feel, you know, as an African-American, as an African-American male in, in the corporate environment, you know, so, you know, and it's not about guilt. It's not about, you know, trying to make someone feel guilty or anything like that, but it's about education and awareness. So I'm, you know, fortunate to say, you know, there have been some things, you know, that, that I've, you know, now I've gone through um, incidents. I think that we've all had where the, you know, when we're out shopping or we're out, you know, um, you know, being with our friends or, you know, someone says, you know, wow, you're, you're very intelligent or, you know, you know, those like, you know, those little comments, you know, or, or, wow, you know, um, wow, you, you speak very well, you know, um, I think we've all been there, but, um, when someone pauses and say, wow, I didn't mean for it to sound like that, or I didn't mean, you know, that's not what I meant, but wow, I'm so sorry I said that because I, 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 you know, I didn't know. And now it seems like there's a lot of folks out there that are willing to listen. They're willing to learn. And um, I, the one thing you, you mentioned kind of like, you know, keeping it going, I just hope that we're able to keep a lot of the good that has come out of the bad, let's keep that going. Let's not make this just a small moment in time, you know? So let's continue, you know, to have dialogue and health and respectful dialogue because that's what equity is all about. It, equity starts with, um, you know, being able to listen, you know, being able to, you know, and, and, but being, you know, respecting, you know, positions, we're not always going to agree you know, um, in, in a perfect world, you know, but we're not all, maybe we're not all supposed to agree. We're not all supposed to have the same viewpoint all of the time, you know, but to bring diverse viewpoints to the table, to create this culture of understanding and learning, I think that's really where it starts. So I'm very glad that, um, you know, in, in some, some ways, um, we're moving towards that, but let's just kind of, let's keep that going. One of my favorite books, I got in a course in undergrad, so it's been, it won't say how many years, but it's been a few, but uh, it's called uh, Building Bridges, Not Walls, and it's yeah. all about communication, and my favorite nugget from that book is I hear you and, and in, in the, the fellowship world, in, in Compassion Las Vegas, we just shorten it to yes and, but people have to learn to listen. And we think just because we can hear that we've heard and we we haven't, there's context around, there's our worldview, our perspective that muddies the signal coming in and creates a distortion of the intended message. So taking a step back and learning to listen is 
in my view, even more critical than learning to speak. Yet we spend most of our focus on where does the comma go? What mm-hmm. what your should you be using? You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. all of these things which are important because I mean, please put the comma in the right place so I know what you're trying to say. And how did how did I approach that? Did I did I really come to listen with curiosity? Or did I come to share my viewpoint and to to prove I'm right? What do you think about that? I, I mean, that's a that's a very very good point. Um, and I think w- what you're saying is, you know, seek to go into conversations to understand. You know, pretty much. You know, as opposed to seeking to speak. Um, there, there's a lot of, you know, and let's be honest, you know, I think we've all been guilty of it, you know, as well of, you know, I want to say, I want to give my viewpoint because I am right. I want to give my viewpoint because you are wrong, you know, and again, you know, let's go into having healthy conversations, respectful conversations and, and, and listen, um, you know, you know, when you when you look at history, when you look at, you know, context, we don't know what what each other have gone through. Right. Um, you know, I've, I've had conversations with, you know, personal conversations with with friends and I'm, you know, of, of the opposite sex. And I said, you know, listen, I could never understand what it's like to be to be a, a woman, you know, in this world and what you have gone through. I can't understand what what it's like to be a, a Latinx woman in this world and what you've gone through. Um, just as much as you can't understand, you know, my historical perspective as as African American men, you know. So, but you have an ally in me. You know, I'm here to understand, and I think allyship is extremely important. And if you even take a look at you know, the, the LGBTQ community, when you look at gender issues, when you look at uh, racial and ethnic and social injustice, we all need to be allies of one another, right? It, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily, you don't have to be necessarily part of that community. But allyship is saying, I'm going to speak up for you, you know, when need be, you know, or I want to understand so that I can I can rally around what it is that you're going through so I can support you. You know, so I think the allyship is is very important, too. We've used a lot of terms that I think you and I have a, a very clear, common understanding on what they mean. And yeah. I want to kind of <laughs> go back a bit and, and dive into some of these words and and for our audience to to see how their perspective lines up with what, what we mean. So let's go all the way back to community where we started. Yeah. What is community to you? Uh, community is is everyone living, working, thriving together, right? It's the people, it's their stories um, within that 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 circle, um, and the community are you know it's different perspectives. It's it's different age groups it's different it's it's different but we all have the same sort of uh uh pride in who we are and where we're from so i think that would be my definition of community perfect and we've talked a bit about 
conflict and disagreement and diversity and yeah. diversity and difference. Even we didn't even throw that word out there. What are some of the tools you've used to navigate through diverse spaces with a community that's made up of all those different individuals you just highlighted? Yeah. So from a company perspective, Barclays has, um, we now have rebranded them uh, employee resource groups. Um, but it's really under that diversity, inclusion, uh, and now equity uh, platform. So it's, the, it's groups that support our colleagues, everything from uh, the Black Professionals Forum, um, Young Professionals, um, Latino Professionals Forum. There, we, we have, I believe, close to a dozen groups globally, right? And, and so these are groups that not only celebrate um, you know, culture and, and what makes us different, but it also, you know, these our groups celebrate what brings us together. And, and so we've also provided tools on well-being um, that our colleagues can definitely, you know, take a part in. It's probably one of the, the things from a, from a culture, you know, company culture standpoint that really makes an impact and resonates with, with our colleagues. In Henderson alone, about 70% of our colleagues belong to at least one group, right? And when you think about support and when you think about um, bringing your authentic self to work, you know, these groups are a, a really big part of that. So I think from a, from a company standpoint, that's been, you know, some, some great tools that we've all definitely taken a part in. Um, personally, I am... I, I love the fact of looking at those pioneers and those trailblazers who came before me. When I think about, <clears throat> I had the opportunity when I was interning at Channel 8 um, to meet Bob Bailey and what he's done as an African-American in the journalism community and what he's done as a trailblazer, you know, I was just a kid in college at that point, you know, coming back here and had a chance to shake his hand and he didn't know me from, from anywhere, but I just, I wanted to tell him, thank you. Right. And when you look at representation, when you, when you can understand who are the people who came before you, I think you get a, a great sense of pride of not necessarily wanting to be that person, but you understand you're part of a bigger picture, right? And, and so for me, I think I've always, not, I don't wanna say always, but I think I've had a sense of being part of, of something bigger than myself. That's why I love my job. That's why I love, you know, volunteerism and fundraising because it's an entire agenda, but it allows me to feel like I'm part of something bigger. And then also to bring my colleagues in there to, to say, listen, you are a part of something bigger than yourselves now, you know, and, and to really tell that story. Um, so I, I, I don't know, I don't know why I just, you know, I just thought about one of that being like a singular moment and me just understanding representation, right? Hmm. But, but also from a community standpoint, being part of something larger, being part of a legacy, if you will. Um, so that would be a singular moment. And when you think about Bob Bailey and, and what his family is now doing, you know, and, you know, Black Image Magazine. So, you know, got to give a shout out to, to Charles and, and Kimberly, 
you know, for the wonderful work and, you know, what, what they're doing to highlight the stories, you know, not just in the black community, but, um, you know, across, you know, Southern Nevada and really finding out who are those people, who are, what are those stories that we need to tell and, and highlight and how do they impact us? You know, so um, the legacy continues. And I think from a leadership standpoint, there's other folks, the Shondell Newsom's of the world, Tyrone Thompson, uh, Dr. Darian Pollard, you know, those are the folks that we look to as being part of the, the, you know, trailblazers. And now we are a part of that journey too, you know, and that's really, really crazy to think about, but awesome too. For sure. And every individual you named is just a giant, you know, and you are becoming that and truly standing on their shoulders to do even greater. So I just want to throw that at you so that you own the amazing work and person uh, that you are doing and being. With some of this, the journalism background, I'm just wondering, how does that influence your approach to this idea of diversity. And here's what I mean with, with diversity, everyone kind of has their own view of it. And some is more favorable. Some is less favorable. Some feel as though this push for diversity is really an exclusionary tactic to transform our world, which we are transforming, but they're trying, they feel as though perhaps they're being displaced instead of others being included at the table. How, how does your journalism background influence your approach to diversity navigating that space? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, but I was really, I was having that conversation uh, with one of my best friends um, actually, you know, just last week. And it's like, listen, we wanna be able, we wanna have a chance to be at the table, right? You know, it's it's not about, you know, replacing, you know, or anything like that, but it's, it's about, it's about having, having a seat at the table, you know, but not only just having a seat at the table, being able to speak at said table, because a lot of, we, we haven't had those chances in, in a lot of circles, right? You know, so I think because some folks are, are, you know, they're used to the status quo, you know, and so anything that Ursa, you know, takes away from that, you know, it's jarring, right? And it's like, whoa, am I being replaced? Whoa, what is this? No, it's it's not about that. It's about let's bring a variety of folks to the table. Let's bring, you know, from a gender perspective, from a, uh, you know, racial perspective, uh, you know, from, you know, LGBTQ, you know, whatever, you know, let's bring everyone to the table because that's what our community looks like. That's what our world looks like. You can't have a world view of things if you don't have everyone at the table giving you a perspective. You know, from a from a journalism standpoint, you know, I I think that's why I wanted to get into journalism initially is because I wanted to tell I wanted to be part of the storytelling process, you know, where you can remove stigma. You know, what do you see, you, you know, on, on the news, you know? African-American males, you know, crime, you know, um, whatever the case may be. But that's not who we are. That's not all of us. Right. And and, and so being able to uh, tell stories other than that, that's, you know, and it's maybe a little bit Pollyanna ish. <laughs> you know, it's I'm going to go in the news and 
I'm going to tell great stories and I'm going to change the world. Yay. You know, it's, it's, I, I think uh, we, we coming out of college, I've definitely had that mentality. And then you really see how news is. And I'm not saying that news is, you know, at all bad, but you know, there's gatekeepers, there's, there's a whole process, um, you know, dedicated to this is what's going to go on your shows versus this, what's not. But I've always had that lens of, if I put this on air, if I have my anchor say this, if we report on it this way, this is how it's going to look. This is how it's perceived by the audience. And, but not only that, but this is how it's perceived by this, you know, this community, right? That this is how it's reflecting. Um, and I've actually had the chance to speak up and, and say those things, you know, at the editorial table, you know, so <clears throat> I think we need more of that. I think we, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure that there's some, some uh, folks, yeah, again, I'm not in journalism anymore, but I would like to hope that there are some folks at those editorial meetings in the morning and in the afternoon or in, at night or whatnot, you know, who are pumping the brakes and saying, hey, listen, if we put this story out there, this is how it's going to be received. And this is how it's going to make this particular group look. It's not about the ratings. It's not about the book. It's not about, you know, um, you know, being first or breaking news. Let's do our due diligence and tell the right stories. You still have to talk about crime. You still have to talk about these things because that's what's happening. But be careful of how you're telling that story. I want to dive into that a bit more deeply with this notion that this is how things are. I, I can attest I am an eternal optimist and my glasses are permanently tinted rose colored. I will not change that. And I recognize that the world that I play in doesn't necessarily see things in the same way. People don't have the same optimism or the same hope or the, even the same starting premise that humanity is inherently good. And so when you're in an environment where people see things differently. I think that that's diversity too. And I think that that diversity is key because if you leave it up to me, like we're all gonna just be swimming in, in fairy dust and glitter, like forever, like that's all we're gonna do. But we yeah. need that other, like, let's get something actual done too, because you know each perspective is important and the world isn't uh, singular, it's multifaceted. How do you navigate maintaining this, this hope, this, this optimism, this idealism, even perhaps in a world that says, well, this is how we've done it. Hope. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very, very strong word with such a huge impact. And I think it's just a belief that what you're doing is the right thing and what you're doing makes an impact. And when you join with like-minded people that it's, it's working, you know, or more specifically, it's very easy to, you know, maintain that hope when as a volunteer or as a fundraiser, when you get that impact, when you feel that impact or you know of that impact that you're making. So, if you're at an organization and they're doing a, I don't know, I'm just going to make it up like a holiday shopping event, right? 
where you are helping young people, um, you know, pick out gifts for their parents or you're helping parents, you know, who are struggling, pick out gifts for their kids. And they tell you, thank you. This means so much to me. Without this, I would not have been able to do this. When you get that back, even though it's just one story, it makes you feel so good. And it fills you with hope that, you know what? I might not be able to change the world. I might not be able to change the world, you know, next week. But for the moment, for this hour, this two hours, I have just changed someone's life. You never know what someone is going through. It can be a smile. It can be a simple, how are you doing? When you can treat people like they're people and you show that they care, for some, that's all they need. That's hope. That's what, that's what gives, gives me hope. We might not be able to change the world. I was, I was about to go into a Tupac quote for a second. Like, <laughs> you know, I, might, you know, I might not change the world, but I'll spark the flame you know, that'll help change the world. But, but, but it's, it's true, though. We might not be able to just change everyone's mindset or change the world by next week or next month. But if you can find you know, you know, solace in those individual stories, and you created that change, I think that's, that's what hope is. And then you just do it one by one. I really like that. What is the difference for you between progress and change? Um, progress and change. Wow. <laughs> I, never, I never thought about that. When, when, when I look at it, progress is moving forward. You know, change is not all change is good, you know, but I think when I look at progress, I look at progress as being a more positive statement, right? It's moving us forward, um, you know, in maybe a, a very similar direction. Things change all the time. Some things change for the better. Some things change eh, not necessarily for the better, right? So I think change could be, you know, more or less either or. And maybe change is more of a, um, um, you know, it's, I don't say it's an, an adaption. Maybe progress is more of an adaption to move forward. So I, I kind of look at, I, I think when just kind of like on the spot, progress, more or less moving forward, singular direction. Change is just something that it's happens. It can be good or it can be bad. And you did good for just putting you on the spot with that. <laughs> In our last few minutes together, I want to change our focus, our direction, our feel for just a moment. I yeah. want to know what's on your playlist. What are you listening to right now? And more specifically, what songs do you listen to when you need to be inspired and feel hopeful when you're like, this is Vegas. I'm, I'm listening to this song. Oh, wow. Well, it's literally everywhere. Um, I will say I, the one album that I've been obsessed with and I can listen to from front to back multiple times is Tory Lane's Alone at the Prom because I kind of like that 80s. He did like this whole 80s kind of theme type. If you listen to it, it's legit like in uh, like 80 songs. And he did like a whole theme around it and it's only 11 tracks. And, um, you know, I know some people feel a certain way about Tory Lanez. I had never really gotten into his music at all um, until this album. And I love this album. So Alone at the Prom, Tory Lanez, you know, check it out. 
Um, but I, um, when I need motivation, it can go anywhere when I'm feeling down and I, I kind of feel like I need to just kind of listen to something. Um, it might be, um, Jennifer Hudson's you pulled me through. I think that's a very inspirational song. Um, when I felt like I was at my my lowest, um, Whitney Houston's I Didn't Know My Own Strength, which, you know, it, I think it takes special, you know, unfortunately she's not with us anymore. So I think that song, you know, adds a special, you know, a little bit more meaning. Um, I have a different playlist for when I work out, but then also I might listen to some classical music. I might listen to some Mozart. I might listen to, um, I like the, um, the Hannibal soundtrack. So again, we're, <laughs> we're going a little, little bit everywhere, but, um, J Cole, um, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Kendrick, uh, when he comes out, um, uh, let's see what, what else? What else is out there for me? I've been listening to a lot of like older stuff too. So I've been kind of going Wait, back define to older. You're talking about 80s is that older or like what do you mean older? So so you know, 80s, um, late 90s. I've been kind of going back to my cash money, kind of no limit, you know, era. You know, you so said that's what, 90s and older in the same like no, <laughs> 90s is like yesterday. It's not older, okay. If you think about it, though, nineties, we're looking at about twenty years. We're looking about, we're looking about, we're looking about twenty years, Will. So, you know, I I'm not accepting know, it. Not happening. Yeah. Listen, nope. and listen, in full full disclosure, you know, I'm I'm approaching forty, right? So, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm old. I recognize I'm getting older. My niece definitely let me know that I was getting older. <laughs> um, you know, I love my niece and my nephew, but yeah, she definitely let me know I was getting older. But you know, when I when I look back, I'm like, wow. Um, last year was my 20 year high school, you know, anniversary or whatnot. You know, so 20 years, you know, cash money, no limit, you know, prime. You know, so I've been kind of going back there a little bit. There's there's a lot of new stuff. I'm sorry, I just can't really get into. Um, I think a lot of the rappers sound alike. Um, they have the same names, so I can't really tell them apart. But um, but yeah, but there's there's some stuff that that I'm that I like that I'm that I'm getting into. So good. Well, hey, I so appreciate you sharing that, and I I love music, and so I I always ask that question because it just I think it gives a perspective on an individual that you know once you you peel back some of the layers that. What's at the core is like this is this is something that gives you that insight. So thank you for sharing that. If you could, in a sentence or two, what do you want our audience, our viewers, our listeners to take away from our time together today? I want our audience to understand the important role that they play. Um, and you know, progress um in creating hope, you know, um, whether it's individually, whether it's with your company. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that I work for a company that really supports volunteerism um, and, and getting out there and making a difference. 
Um, I'm very proud that I have a group of friends in my circle um, that believe in the same thing. You know, so find people who are as passionate about something as, as you are, you know, the people who are going to push you um, to be successful, but that are also pushing you to be a part of something bigger. You know, so, I, you know, we'll definitely want to thank you for this time and, you know, allow me to, you know, you know, laugh a little bit, you know, and, and you know, say some, you know, tell some stories and, you know, this is, this has been awesome. So thank you. Yeah. And thank you for joining us. This has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I am Will Rucker. And as I always remind you, you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop and what you do matters. So live compassionately.